0: Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
1: You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and can you believe it? It's 2017. How weird is that? We made it. We got through. We got through 2016, which is remarkable. Lots of people didn't. The start of a new year, a fresh page, a blank canvas a tired metaphor <laughs> um lots to do in 2017 lots of exploring to come i hope uh, but i thought we could start the year with something uh, a little bit out of the ordinary it's something we haven't really done on the on the show before certainly not uh, we haven't done a whole show that is a quiz of London, and that's what we're going to do today, not least because I wanted to take advantage of some of the fantastic books whose authors I've interviewed in the last year. I'm basing today's quiz, and this is, by the way, this is the kind of quiz that you can do with uh, your friends or family, if that should take your fancy, certainly with pen or paper I reckon would be a good way to go, but this is a quiz based on three books from the last year, and the books are, in no particular order, Curiosity by Henry Elliott and Matt Lloyd-Rose. The National Geographic London Book of Lists, that one is by Tim Jepsen and Larry Porges. You might remember the interview with Larry a couple of weeks ago. And Everything You Know About London is Wrong by Matt Brown. So the way this is going to work is I'm going to do three sections, one from each book, ten questions from each book. I'll do uh, the questions and then the answers from each one in turn, so you get a chance to catch up. And if you're playing with somebody else, I uh, get to, not like that. If you're playing with somebody else, you get to see who's uh, who's getting ahead. Um, there's a couple of bonus rounds. I will try to keep the uh, the scoring visible um, because I don't know. You know, some people don't like uh, the whole competitive points thing, and some people really do. For those who really do, I'm going to make sure that we know how many points each uh, question is worth. It's as simple as that, really. There's a mixture of questions. There's going to be um, some true or false type things, some which require a precise answer, some which require a little bit of imagination and are not probably guessable, and others which just rely on your general knowledge of London and maybe even your uh, ability to remember previous episodes of the show because we have... I think we've visited one or two of these places that we're about to mention... Let's get cracking. We'll start with Everything You Know About London Is Wrong, Matt Brown's book. Let's plunge straight in. An, an, an offensively easy question to begin with, or so it would seem. What is the closest tube station to the mansion house? What is the closest tube station to the mansion house? Get your answer down now. Uh, question number two. In fact, should we have a, we'll have just have a brief pause here, because all of those people who uh, who didn't realise it was going to be a quiz... Um, We'll now be scrambling around for things to uh, write down or we'll be negotiating with uh, friends and family members. So just a small pause there while everybody gets themselves sorted out. Okay. question one, what's the closest tube station to the mansion house? Question two, in which decade did gas-powered street lighting stop in London? In which decade did gas-powered street lighting stop in London? So that's a point each for those first two. This uh, third question is worth two points because it's in multiple parts. So across the 17th to the 19th centuries, the following three people were famous or, or maybe I should say notorious for what? Their names are James Hind, Claude Duval and John Nevison. What were they famous or notorious for? That's the first part of the question. The second part and this might help with the first, is that their reputations, variously for gentlemanly conduct when committing a crime, and also in another case for speedy horse riding. Not, that was horse riding, not horse riding. <laughs> that's, an, that's an entirely different thing. Their uh, reputations for those things got mixed up with and added to the legend of which much more famous colleague... Uh, by colleague, I mean that in the loosest possible sense. Somebody else who was engaged in the same occupation that they were, same uh, criminal occupation. So that's uh, James Hind, Claude Duval, John Neverson. What were they famous for doing or being? And whose legacy did their exploits add to? Question four. And it's another famous figure associated with London. Guy Fawkes, true or false? Guy Fawkes, born as Guido Fawkes, led a plot to blow up the King and the Houses of Parliament for which he was subsequently executed. True or false? Question number five. On the top of the old bailey, I'm sure you'll picture it in your mind's eye there, is a statue of Lady Justice with her arms outstretched. Um, What's unusual about that particular representation of Lady Justice. Uh, Number, what have we got up to? One, two, three, four, five, six. Number six. And this one's about the Tower of London. And the question is, have more people escaped from or been executed in the Tower of London? Have more people escaped from or been executed in the Tower of London? Uh, Another London building, the Shard. Now, the Shard is the tallest building in the UK. I think it's still the tallest building in Europe. But it's only the 10th tallest structure in the UK. We would define a building as uh, something with floors, I guess, something that you could walk around inside. And uh, the Shard is only the 10th tallest structure in the UK. In fact, out of the top 15 tallest structures in the UK, it's the only building on the list. So what are all the others? What are the other uh, structures? What are the nine structures ahead of the shard? A number, oh, I really should have numbered these. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. is this, this number eight. And this is about structures as well, but much smaller ones. Um, and you, you might recognize some of these from around the town. The question is, what do these structures have in common? And they are a classical-style brick building that looks like a Victorian shelter in Gibson Square, Islington, The the Mock Tudor Hut, it says Mock Tudor Hat here, I don't think that's correct, the Mock Tudor Hut in Soho Square, the classical column in Paternoster Square, a metallic sculpture by Sir Eduardo Paolozzo next to Pimlico Station, and the ticket booth at the south of Leicester Square, what have all those things got in common? The Victorian shelter in Gibson Square, Islington, the Mock Tudor hut in Soho Square, the classical column in Tottenham Square, a sculpture by uh, sculpture there next to Pimlico Station, the ticket booth, on the south side of Leicester Square. If you get one of those, if you if you spot what's going on there, I think they'll all fall into place. Question number nine from this book since when has the legend existed that if the Ravens leave the tower London will fall which year did that start and um, I I think within ten years I think if you get the exact year that's got to be worth two points and if you get it within a decade that's worth one since which year has the legend existed that if the Ravens leave the tower London will fall and uh, number ten is it true or false that there is a street in London that is technically in Cambridgeshire and you can't be arrested there. Okay. Um, and shall we have a bonus? Let's have a bonus round. Here we go. A uh, point for each of these. Bonus round. Things that are commonly known by the wrong name. So I'll, I'll give you the common name for these, what most people call them, and then I need from you the correct name. This is a tough one. Here they come. Big Ben. Because starting with a controversial one, Big Ben. What is uh, what we what a lot of people call Big Ben? What is it, the tall thing, not the ringy thing? Uh, next one, the Boris bus. What is that correctly called? All done. The, okay, so the uh, the cheese grater is the next one. What do we call? We call it the cheese grater. Some people call it the cheese grater. What is it actually called? If I didn't have that written down in front of me, I don't know that I'd get that one. This you're in with a shout here, surely though. The dome. People call it the dome. What is it actually called? Uh, the drain is the next one. I think I don't know. I've never heard anybody actually call it the drain. Maybe if you are somebody who uses it twice a day, maybe you would call it the drain. Petticoat Lane. That's the next commonly used term, petticoat lane. What is petticoat lane actually called? Second to last is the walkie-talkie. What is the correct name for the walkie-talkie? And finally, the dear old wobbly bridge. What is the correct name for the wobbly bridge? Okay, let's see how you did. We'll go back to the start of the questions here. What is the closest tube station to Mansion House? Well, it is Bank Station. And I mean, it's uh, it's Bank Station by a, a, an enormous margin. Bank Station is right next door. Uh, I think Cannon Street, looking at my Google map here, Cannon Street is reasonably close. The, the The obvious trip hazard here is that the nearest tube station to Man, to the Mansion House is not Mansion House. Um, that's some way off. And actually, I think it's close run thing, whether that or Monument is uh, third closest. I think it's probably a tie. Second question, in what decade did uh, gas-powered street lighting stop in London? Well, I'm sorry to throw a trick question in so soon, but actually... Gas-powered street lighting hasn't stopped in London. There are about 1,200, depending on your source, we're using Matt Brown's book here, according to him, 1,200-ish gas-powered lights still going on in London, and other sources say there's a a further 300 than that. But it's that sort of region, way way more than 1,000 gas-powered street lamps still lighting up the city. You might be interested to know as well that, according to... Guide London, uh, Guide London's blog, Anne Jones, writes that the uh, gas lighting first appeared in Pall Mall in 1812, thanks to Frederick Windsor, originally with wooden gas pipes. This unfortunately resulted in a lot of explosions and a few deaths. Well, it would, wouldn't it? Maybe that's why everybody smoked those enormously long clay pipes around that time, so that if the gas ignited and exploded, uh, it would be far enough away from your face. No, that doesn't really work, does it? Question three, though. Uh, two questions in one. Across the 17th to 19th centuries, James Hyde, Claude Duval and John Neverson were famous highwaymen. Highwaymen. And um, that's the first part of the question. The second is, of course, well, once you know that, you can probably guess whose reputation was embellished somewhat by their doings. Uh, Matt Brown writes, Duval, for instance, was renowned for his gentlemanly behaviour when holding up a stagecoach. Neverson, meanwhile, was the original fast rider. His, probably apocryphal, 322 and twenty-two 200 mile, dash from Chelmsford to York inspired Turpin's flight in Ainsworth's Rookwood. And uh, he goes on to say that Black Bess is a fiction. Uh, he was quite a horse thief, was um, Dick Turpin. And there's... No suggestion, no contemporaneous suggestion that he uh, he stuck with one horse. Another famous figure associated with London, Guy Fawkes. Now, this there's a lot of false going on in this, true or false. Uh, false is the answer. True or false, did Guy, born as Guido Fawkes, lead a plot to blow up the Kicking and the Houses of Parliament for which he was subsequently executed? No, he did not. He was not the leader. Robert Catesby was the leader of the plot, Um, Guy Fawkes was born as Guy Fawkes he changed his name to Guido Uh, yeah the 80 Years War he changed his uh, name it was a nickname uh, Guido that he used in the 80 Years War so they had a go at the Houses Parliament messed it up got caught Um, Robert Catesby and several others were killed in a gunfight with authorities in Staffordshire another plotter died from illness in uh, the Tower of London before he could stand trial, but um, if you thought we were on safe ground with Guy Fawkes being executed, well, technically, no, he wasn't. He was put in the, the scaffold, ready to be hanged, and then he he jumped off. He leapt from the gallows, breaking his neck and sparing himself the excruciating fate that the law had set out for him. So, in short, he wasn't uh, executed. He actually committed suicide. Uh what is unusual about the sta- uh, the statue of Lady Justice on top of the dome of the Old Bailey? Well, Justice is usually represented as blind, but in the case of the um, the figure up there, um, she's not blind. She quite often they'll put a a piece of material around her eyes to prevent her from being able to see. But in this case, the sculptor has looked back to antiquity when representations of justice did not have their eyes covered, so that's the case with this one. She's got her sword and her scales, but her eyes are wide open. Uh, The next question was, have more people... uh, What number are we... I should be giving you numbers here, should I? One, two, three, four, five. We're on question six. Have more people escaped from or been executed in the Tower of London? Well, Matt Brown has it down at about one a generation escaping from the tower. At least 37 prisoners have absconded from the tower over the centuries, he writes. And that's far more than the number who have been executed within. Uh, we've got the number of executions at 21 known executions. And by the way, most of those happened in the 20th century. Um, there are 11 spies who were shot by firing squad within the grounds of the fortress. Uh, If you fancy flicking back a few episodes, we did an interview a couple of years back with one of the beef eaters at the Tower. Very illuminating. Um, And, of course, somebody who knows everything there is to know about their their subject. All 21 known executions. Well, I won't bother you with all of them, but uh, some names that jump out from the list here. Anne Boleyn, Catherine Howard, Jane Boleyn. oh Things not looking for good for the Berlin family there. Lady Jane Grey. Well, this is interesting. Corporal Samuel Macpherson shot for desertion in 1743. Corporal Malcolm Macpherson shot for desertion in 1743. I'd quite like to know more about that. Private Farcar Shaw. For, 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 I'm only going get into trouble if I try reading that correctly. Guess what? Shot for desertion in 1743. And then uh, rather a lot of people with uh, German and Dutch-sounding names shot around the times of the First and Second World Wars. By way of a parting anecdote, the roll call of prisoners at the Tower of London includes Ronnie and Reggie Cray. They were kept at the Tower. And uh, there's a question that Matt leaves his chapter on this subject with. And I'm not going to give you the answer to this because I would strongly urge you to rush out and get hold of a copy of his book. So I'll tease this one instead. He says, who are the only two people to be imprisoned in the Tower of London who also performed at the Royal Albert Hall, dot, 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 to be be, uh, continued. Not to be continued. You need to go and look it up. Let's get on with the, the Shard. Okay, so the Shard is the 10th tallest structure in the UK. What are all the others? They are communications masts and uh, big pointy structures. Most of them not freestanding. Most of them needing uh, what looks to me like high tensile wires to keep them up. Anyway, they're, they're communications masts. What do the following structures have in common? This is question number eight. What do the following structures have in common? Um, and there are all these uh, huts and shelters and the Tudor hut in Soho Square. What are all of these? They are all, including the ticket booth at the south side of Leicester Square, they are all ventilation shafts for various things, for the underground, for electrical um, uh, electrical um, what do you call them? Equipment rooms. I'm sure they're not called that. Anyway, rooms with electrics that need uh, ventilation. And they've all been designed, these particular ones, in in, uh, clever ways to make them fit into the landscape above. Question nine. Since when has the legend existed that if the Ravens leave the tower, London will fall? I couldn't believe this when I read it. What was your guess? Did you get it within ten years, I wonder? Uh, It was 19... which is already a surprise to me. I'd have thought it was like the 17s or the 18s or something, but no, it was 1944. That's the earliest recorded mention of the legend. 1944, when wartime privations had seen the number of ravens dwindle to a solitary bird, as author Bora Sacks a pi- <laughs> As author Bora Sachs, that is a fantastic name, opines in his scholarly paper on the subject, it is an invented tradition designed to give an impression of continuity with the past. And Sachs researched the topic extensively and could find no no mention of any ravens in the Tower before 1895, although an illustration from 1883 includes a crudely drawn bird that might just be a raven if you squint your eyes in the right way. And you know what I really like is that somebody's Spent probably years of study, uh, studying in a scholarly fashion, this kind of made-up thing. (laughs) Uh, Next question. Number 10, I think. Um, Yes, number 10. Is it true or false that there is a street in London that is technically in Cambridgeshire and you can't be arrested there? By Jove, we've had somebody on the show asserting this. And it is false, 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 false. Uh, Not true at all. The street in question, or the spot in question, is Eli Place. And we've been there on the show and known and since the 60s. It's been uh, governed by and is part of, I think, Camden Council. That's It's their responsibility. There was a big uh, diamond raid in the, in the 20s where the miscreants, the thieves, ran up Eli Place and they were arrested there. So clearly, uh, in practice, there's no problem preventing the constabulary rushing in and arresting somebody. And Matt Brown points out very correctly, why on earth would it be the case that the police couldn't arrest you in in Cambridgeshire? Since when can't police arrest people in areas other than their home turf? So, no, false. And then the bonus round, things that are commonly known by the, the wrong name. Here we go. So Big Ben is correctly called the Elizabeth Tower. Not any one of about uh, half a dozen Other things that people have sometimes called it. The Boris bus, is its official name is the new route master. The cheese grater is... Now, did you get this one? The Leadenhall building. The dome is the O two. 2. The drain, that I'd never heard of, is the Waterloo and City Line. Petticoat Lane. People often go around looking for Petticoat Lane on their maps, and they can't find it because it's actually uh, called Middlesex Street. The walkie-talkie is number twenty Fenchurch Street, and finally the Wobbly Bridge. I think this is probably one of the easiest of the lot. The Wobbly Bridge is the London Millennium Footbridge. Okay, if you need refreshments, now's your moment. That was everything. Those questions were, uh, those facts were from everything you know about London is wrong, by Matt Brown. We're going to do uh, we're going to do Curiosity next. Are you ready? Here we go. What connects... This is question number one from the curiosity section of this quiz. Part two of three. Question one. What connects Batman with Mr. Bean via a museum in Hayes? What connects Batman with Mr. Bean via a museum in Hayes? The second question. How many times worse... Is the quality of the air in the underground than that of street level? How much worse for you is the quality of the air in the underground than that of street level? That's a swine of a question. You know, I've heard it said that a trip on the underground is equivalent to smoking a cigarette in terms of air quality. Uh, Question number three. Uh, now okay this is you've got to use your imagination for this one you may well have heard of the great dust heap around the back of king's cross it was a rubbish mound of enormous proportions vegetables and animal carcasses rags metal glass you name it pretty horrible in 1848 it was bought for 40,000 pounds by whom and for what purpose On to question number four. And we'd have to have a couple of underground questions here, wouldn't we? Otherwise, this quiz would be incomplete. We all know very well that Harry Beck designed his schematic tube map, the one that we use today. Less well known is that there's a faded copy of his map in Finchley Central Station. But the question here is, in what year did he design his tube map? What year was the Harry Beck tube map designed. And I think in keeping with earlier on we'll give one uh, two points for if you get the right year and one point if you're in the uh, with, within a decade. And in fact this is the perfect moment for a tunneling machines bonus round. You almost certainly know that there are eight boring machines working on Crossrail at the moment. Can you name them? And you'll get a point for every one you get right. I hope you're using the pause button, by the way, because uh, it's going to be a bit of a weird show if I na- if I now na- just remain silent long enough for you to think of the names of eight tunneling machines. Let's assume that we've we've done that. Eight tunneling machines. Should I give you any clues? Well, they're all named after people. I mean, these are, these aren't tunneling machine names like Fido and Spot. You know, these are these are the names of people. Which people? The pause button is your friend if you need more time. We're going to crack on EastEnders. Question number six, I think. Uh, East, let me check that. One, two, three, four, five. S- no, this is question number five. That was the bonus round. Ra- well, the bonus round was kind of question number six. But it was, no, it was a bonus round. Okay, that was the bonus round. This is question number six. EastEnders, as we know, is set in the fictional borough of Walford. The Tube station serving EastEnders is Walford East. And the question here simply is which line is Walford East on? You could work that out really if you happen to have a copy of Harry Beck's map to hand. Uh, next question. And now this is the, the what happens next round. So you've got the Dominion Theatre. On Tottenham Court Road, and it's built on what was the site of the Horseshoe Brewery. And the important details for our purposes are that the brewery used to keep great big casks of beer on its roof. On the 17th of October 1814, what happened? That's wide open, isn't it? So imagine the scenario. Dominion Theatre isn't there yet. Instead, it's the Horseshoe Brewery. They've got enormous casks of beer up on their roof. 17th of October, 1814, something happened. What happened? And if you really have no idea, if you've never heard this story before, I wish I could give you like a a, a jewel-encrusted point if you get this even close. You can be generous with yourself if you get it. Uh, if you get the right idea, is it guessable? I, I don't know. Question number seven in twenty. Have I got the right number of questions here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, it is. yeah. Question number seven in twenty twelve. Which city was declared France's sixth biggest? I know that doesn't sound like a London quiz question. In 2012, which city was declared Francis, Fra, France's sixth biggest? Name that town. Question number eight. Uh, let's test your local knowledge in this question. It's a three-parter. I've still got the Christmas spirit in me. You can have a point for each part. Which part of town would you find the following in? A. Bangler town. Where is Bangla town Question B, Little Italy. And question C, Little Lagos. Which bits of town contain those areas? Banglatown, Little Italy, and Little Lagos. On to question nine. Oh, this is, This couldn't be more controversial, probably. I think we could even argue that there are about six right answers to this question. So if you get any of them then kudos to you, uh, and indeed a point to you. Where is the centre of London? Simple as that, or as complicated as that. Where is the centre of London? It might be that you've got a firm conviction about this, but it might be that you want to think about the way in which you're going to measure your answer. Isn't there more than one way? Um, final question. In eighteen fifty, the Ottoman Viceroy of Egypt delivered a particular animal.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
1: to London in exchange for a greyhound. So the Viceroy of of Egypt presented an animal by the name of Obasich in exchange for a greyhound, and uh, the new animal went on display in London Zoo and immediately inspired a nationwide mania for that particular kind of animal. What kind of animal was it? Delivered to London in 1850. Okay, let's get some answers. So, uh, what connects Batman and I'm going to be referring to the uh, the hard copy. I've got the I've got Curiosity the hardback copy of Curiosity in front of me here, so though you're going to hear the pages turning as we answer the questions. What connects Batman with Mr. Bean via a museum in Hayes? Well, What museum is it in Hayes? The London Motor Museum, of course. So you can see the 1966 Batmobile that was driven in the original Batman TV series. You can see the Batmobile from the 1989 film. Was that Michael Keaton, I think? And you can see Mr. Bean's Mini there. So it's cars that connect those three things. Question number two. How many times worse is the quality of the air in the underground than that of street level? If you ever have to use the tube, you're not going to like the answer, 73 times worse than at street level. Now, I assume that means street level in the heavily polluted streets of London. So if you compare that to uh, pollution levels in a non-London street, gosh, we're in trouble. And that's nitrogen dioxide pollution. Sounds tasty. Question number three. This this is the one about the great dust heap. Now, this is fascinating, this one. So the question was, who bought this enormous pile of filth and detritus for £40,000 in 1848? And that must have been a huge amount of money. Well, the clue to this is that dust, which is what the heap was composed of to some large extent, was used to manufacture bricks, and it could be extremely valuable for that reason. In 1848, Russia bought the entire Great Dust Heap for £40,000 to rebuild Moscow. Today there are companies performing similarly alchemical feats with refuse. London Waste operates across seven north London boroughs. Any rubbish that can't be reused or recycled is either burned, converted into electricity and pumped back into the national grid or converted into peat-free compost. I didn't know that. So it was the Russians that had it. Question number four. We all know about Harry Beck's schematic tube map. What year did that get designed? If your answer was within 10 years of 1931, you can award yourself a point. If it was 1931, that's a fat two points for you. Okay, a tunnelling machine bonus round. The crossrail boring machines are all named after famous women around town. And you can tell it's relatively contemporary because of one of the last ones in this list. But they are named after Ada Lovelace, Phyllis... They take their first names. Um, so we've got Ada, Phyllis, etc. So Ada Lovelace, Phyllis Pearsall, Elizabeth, after Elizabeth I, Victoria, the, obviously the monarch, Mary Brunel, Sophia Brunel, Jessica Ennis-Hill, and Ellie Simmons. So there we go. Those are the... Uh, people after whom the boring machines were named, EastEnders, Walford East, well, it's on the district line. Actually, there was something interesting on that same page that I meant to share with you. Actually, a couple of fascinating things. Get this, the highest subterranean site in London is West Ashfield Underground Station, which, of course, you And I have never heard of because it's several stories above street level in Ashfield House, which is a transport for London building in West Kensington to prepare their staff to work on the network. TFL have created a detailed replica of a district line tube station inside an office block. The platform can be made to vibrate and a fan simulates the gust from an approaching train. Isn't that amazing? So there we go. District line was the answer. Next one, the Dominion... Okay, so this was the what happened next question. We've got the casks of ale on the roof of the Horseshoe Brewery. What happened next? Well, it involved people perishing, actually. People died on the 17th of October, 1814. Its vast rooftop vats burst, sending a lethal wave of beer through the streets. This dark tide 1.5 million litres devastated the surrounding slum and cost at least eight lives. Uh, The Holborn Whippet on Sicilian Avenue serves a specially brewed Memorial Porter each year on the anniversary of the accident. It's one of those weird ones that sounds like it should be funny and it's just really not. In 2012, which city was declared France's sixth biggest? Well, a point to you if you spotted what was going on with this question. In uh, 2012, London was declared France's sixth biggest city, with a French population bigger than that of Bordeaux. The French parliament created a new constituency, and 37-year-old Axel Lenair became the first French MP for London. I find that particularly interesting when you think about all the stereotypes that exist around, the, uh, around immigration debates. Local knowledge. Banglatown, Little Italy, Little Lagos. Where the devil are they? Well, until the 1960s, Clerkenwell was known as Little Italy and was home to a lively population of street entertainers, knife grinders, ice cream sellers and musicians. The Italian Church of St. Peter's on Clerkenwell Road still hosts a procession of Our Lady of Mount Carmel on the third Sunday in July. And that's been an annual tradition since 1883. There's a thriving Nigerian community in Peckham, which is sometimes called Yoruba Town or Little Lagos because of its rows of Nigerian shops and restaurants, selling moi-moi, jollof rice, and a thing called Agho Jedi Jedi. Are we sure about that? It's a herbal defense against dysentery and impotence. <laughs> it makes your you lightsaber stand to attention. And finally, Banglatan. Well, Banglatan is uh, down the bottom end of Brick Lane, of course. If you ever look down there, you can see a building that has in its lifetime been a church and a synagogue and a mosque. On to the controversial stuff, the centre of London. This is the definition of a vexed question. I'm looking at a map here of the centre of town. You could have said centre point. That would be um, the the iconic structure there. You could have had the gravitational centre. I know Matt Brown's tried this experiment Himself cutting out the shape of London and balancing the resulting piece of paper on a pin and seeing what the centre of gravity is. You could have had the Pole of Inaccessibility. Oh, by the way, I should be telling you where these places are, shouldn't I? The centre of gravity gives you Greek House, part of the Tanswell Estate in Southwark. Uh, You could have had the Pole of Inaccessibility, which is basically the place furthest from all the edges, furthest from the circumference. That gives you Tyler's Court off Wardour Street. You could have had the benchmark. What is the benchmark? In May 2014, the estate agent Knight Frank revealed a new geographical centroid, the Bullseye of the Bullseye, a pavement bench on Victoria Embankment opposite the King's College Strand Campus. In fact, the bench is the centre of an arbitrary area enclosed by what Knight Frank defines as London's inner ring road. So somehow they've... It sounds like they've just made up their own centre there. The Milliarium Stand on the small traffic island on the south side of Trafalgar Square next to the bronze equestrian statue of Charles I, and you will be standing at the centre of London from which all mileages to the city are measured. Or you could have had the weighted centroid. Adam Dennett, a researcher at UCL's Centre of Advanced Spatial Awareness, has used London's population distribution to produce a population-weighted centroid which lies in the Shell Centre next to the Hungerford Bridge. And then there's a silly one over by Mudshoot where Dr John Dee felt that that was the spiritual centre of London. Well, I'm looking at the distribution here. Numbers 1 through 6 are all within quite a short distance of each other. The Omphalos of uh, Dr John Dee is way out on its own, so I'm going to discount that one. So if you had anywhere, within, uh, anywhere between Centrepoint and Southwark, you're in with a shout. And finally, the animal which was delivered to London in 1850 and the country went crazy for this kind of animal they went mad for hippos it was hippomania and that brings us to the end of our second section okay we're on to the third and final round now how are you doing are you trouncing your competition? Are you performing well, even against your own expectations? Let's see how this final round goes. We're now into the National Geographic London Book of Lists. That was curiosity that we've, uh, we've just been indulging our curiosity in. Curiosity by Henry Elliott and Matt Lloyd-Rose. We're into now the final round, the third round. And the book supporting this round is National Geographic London Book of Lists by Tim Jepsen and Larry Porges. And I should say, by the way, that if anything I've said in this recording has seemed in any way inaccurate to you, then it is in order. Entirely the fault of either the authors, their publishers, any deity that you happen to believe in, or uh, maybe the Russians have, have hacked my mouth and are um, making me say facts that are not true. Uh, it's definitely not my fault. I can uh, be completely sure of that. Uh, The final run of questions then. Question one. What has author Beatrix Potter got to do with Brompton Cemetery? What has author Beatrix Potter got to do with Brompton Cemetery? And and especially the people buried there. Some of the people buried there. I think that's guessable. Imagine her wandering around Brompton Cemetery. Sucking her pen. Question 2, when did the last briton serve a sentence in the tower of london rather than merely awaiting transfer there? So not just passing through actually banged up in the tower of london doing their sentence there. When did that happen? How do we do that? Well, if you if you pick a year that's in the time of their sentence, you're on. You get a point. And uh, If you're within 10 years, then, uh, no, within 10 years, you get the same as before, that. In seven, this is question three, in 1760, John Joseph Merlin, a Belgian-born mechanical instrument maker, showed off his patented, I can't say it, his patented invention. It appears that I have to say that word, making it sound like I'm um, about to sneeze. His patented invention. What was it? 1760, John Joseph Merlin, a Belgian-born mechanical instrument maker, showed off his, you know, invention. What was it? And I'll give you a clue. If he if he was, um, I hope he wasn't on a hill at the time, because that would have caused him trouble. Any kind of incline would have uh, affected things for him. Question number four. We know the dates 1914 to 1918 for uh, very specific historical reasons. But those two dates also mark landmarks in the development of the bus service in London. In 1914, something stopped. And in 1918, something else started. What were those things? I, I think it's a point for each, isn't it? So the London bus service, 1914, some aspect of London buses ceased to be. And in 1918, a new thing to do with buses and the bus network was brought in. What were those things? Uh, Question number 12345. We all know that black cabs are known as Hackney carriages, but Hackney doesn't refer, so this book has said, um, Hackney does not refer to the district in East London. But what does it refer to? And uh, there's a a slight clue, and it is a slight clue, in the fact that hackney carriages uh, were first documented as being used in 1605. Isn't that incredible? So black cabs are known as hackney carriages, but if hackney does not refer to the place hackney, what does it refer to? You need to think linguistically there. Question six and uh, we've already had a question about the tallest building in London. Here's another one. This is a question about the, the previous, the former tallest building. I could have asked you a question, actually, about the tallest building between 1710 and 1962, but that is a hotly contested question, and I'll explain more shortly. But anyway, that game was over in 1962 when a new structure appeared to claim the crown of tallest building in London. What was that building? It's time for a bonus round. Oh yes, it's bonus London Laws round. Are these statements true or false? A. You are not allowed to be found drunk in a pub, nor may a pub owner allow you to get drunk in a pub. Is that true or false? You're not allowed to be drunk in a pub. That's A. True or false, B. It is illegal to shake a doormat in the street. That sounds like a YouTube dance craze. True or false, it's illegal to shake a doormat in the street. C. True or false, it is perfectly legal to keep a pigsty in front of your house. I'm, I'm going to wager that you haven't found this out through practical experience. Um, but what's your best guess? Is it perfectly legal to keep a pigsty in front of your house in London? D. Is it illegal? True or false, it is illegal to sing obscene ballads (laughs) in the London area. True or false? It's illegal to sing obscene ballads in the London area. And uh, E, finally, true or false? It is legal to point a cannon at a house in London. Back to the rest of the ordinary questions. So this is about livery companies. Actually, we haven't touched on them in the show for quite some time. So you know we've got the livery companies in the City of London and their they're bodies which represent various trades. So you've got the hat makers and the fishermen and the fan makers, you know, all of these livery companies. They've got a, an order of precedence, and some aspects of the order of precedence are fought over. But uh, out of all of these, which of them is first? So which livery company is considered to be the premier livery company, I suppose, is the question. Question eight, London Bridge. So you might know the story here. The London Bridge before the one we're currently enjoying was built and uh, it was opened in 1831. It stayed in place until 1967. Where is it now? So that's the last version of London Bridge, built in 1831, gone in uh, 1967. Where's it gone? Question nine. One place links all of the following things. So it's an establishment that was responsible for embalming uh, psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud and British Prime Minister Clement Attlee. It installed in 1898 the first escalator in the country. And A.A. A. Milne bought the famous teddy bear Winnie in 1921. Which establishment are we talking about? And finally, this is like throwing a dart at a dartboard blindfolded. Buckingham Palace has how many rooms? How many rooms in Buckingham Palace? I think if you get it within 10, you're in for a a point. If you get it spot on, then you'll get two. Well, I I enjoyed those ones. I've got the London Book of Lists in front of me right now. I'm flicking through to find out about Beatrix Potter. So her connection with Brompton Cemetery. Well, it's about the people who are buried there. So you'll recognise names like Fanny Braun... Um, John Keats' musicals, Henry Cole, who founded the Victoria and Albert Museum, uh, Emily Pankhurst, of course. But as soon as you hear these other ones, you'll start to realise why it's connected with Beatrix Potter, because six of the most visited headstones are those of Messrs. Nutkins, McGregor, Todd, uh, Jeremiah Fisher, Tommy Brock and Peter Rabbit. I think we know what was, uh, what was done with those ideas as Beatrix Potter spotted those excellent names. Uh, when did the last Briton serve a sentence in the Tower of London rather than merely awaiting transfer? Perhaps more recently than you think, 1933 was the year. And the chap in question is, uh, was Norman Bailey Stewart, known as the officer in the Tower, and he was the last Briton. there, convicted in 1933 of selling military secrets to Germany and sentenced to 140 years, but was released in 1937. <laughs> and and we complain today that people only serve a small part of their sentence. 1760. Uh, this is possibly my favourite question of today's quiz for the mental image it conjures. In 1760, John Joseph Merlin, a Berlin-born mechanical instrument maker, showed off his patented... His, I still can't <laughs> His patented invention, and it was a pair of roller skates. Yes, he showed off his painted, he showed off his wheeled boots at a party at Carlisle House in Soho Square. Unfortunately, <laughs> whatever follows is going to be fantastic. Unfortunately, he had not mastered the ability to turn or break. <laughs> he also overreached by attempting to play a violin at the same time as he demonstrated his invention. He, cur- <laughs> he cur- <laughs> he careened through his host's ballroom before crashing into a mirror, severely wounding himself in the process. <laughs> ah. 1914 to uh, 1918. Uh, we know, obviously, the First World War was going on then. What else was going on then in terms, specifically, of the London bus? And here we go. The relevant dates are that in 1914, it was the last... London Horse-Drawn Bus Service. So horses were withdrawn in in 1914. What was it that started in 1918? Bus stops. That was the first year we had bus stops. Uh, Staying with transport, black cabs are called hackney carriages. What does hackney refer to? It's not the area. It is hackney. I'm mangling the pronunciation. But hackney means an ambling horse. So if we think back to 1605, of course they'd all have been horse-drawn. Of course they'd be going probably a, a bit slower to pick up fares. So it's uh, an ambling horse, hackney. Meanwhile, the tallest building in London. Well, 1710 to um, 1962. Officially St Paul's Cathedral. And um, so I'm always interested by that crossover between Wren's plans ...for renovating St Paul's and the fact that the opportunity was afforded him so quickly. Anyway, St Paul's was completed with Wren's Dome on the top in 1710... ...and it would remain the tallest building in London for 250 years... However, there were some rival claims. Some maintain that Battersea Power Station, completed in 1935, just pipped St Paul's at 370 feet, depending on where you measured. Others say that its towers fell short by a bit. Then came Crystal Palace TV transmitter in the 1950s. It reaches 720 feet, but is discounted by many who are unimpressed by its freestanding metal lattice tower. And they claim also that it's not really in London. But it is. But uh, bonus laws. What are you allowed and not allowed to do? So here are London laws still on the books. And these are all from the Metropolitan Police Act of 1839, which has never been repealed and is, um, is wonderful. So here's what you're, you're not allowed to do. It's a civic offence a- to do the following. To roll any cask, tub, hoop or wheel on any footway except for the purpose of loading or unloading any cart or carriage. So stop rolling tubs, hoops, or wheels, you people. Next, you may not fly a kite on a public thoroughfare, slide on ice or snow, build bonfires, set off fireworks, ring doorbells without a lawful excuse, or willfully extinguish the light of any lamp. Well, fair enough. Oh, here's one that concerns us. You are not allowed to be found drunk in a pub. More accurately, it's illegal for a pub owner to allow you to get drunk in a pub. <laughs> If, this, uh, if these uh, laws were ever to be acted on, I think that's every single Londoner already in prison, just based on those that we've done. Um, it's illegal to fire a cannon or other firearm of greater calibre than a common fouling piece. <laughs> not that common. Within 300 yards of a dwelling house. And in case you wondered, it's also... This is the text saying this, not me. And in, the ca- in case you wondered, it's also not okay to point your cannon at a dwelling house from within 300 yards. Uh, What about the doormat in the street? Um, No. Well, there's a caveat here. It's illegal to beat or shake any carpet, rug or mat in any street, but it is permitted to shake a doormat as long as you do it before 8am. What about the pigsty? It is fine to keep a pigsty in front of your house if it is duly hidden. If it is not duly hidden, it's, it's illegal. But hidden is fine. So you can't shake your doormat, but you can have a hidden pigsty. And what about illegal, uh, what about obscene ballads? Well, as you may have guessed from the tone of these laws so far, you may not sing any profane, indecent or obscene song or ballad, or write or draw any indecent or obscene word, figure or representation. Uh, That's an end to it. And just for good measure... You're not allowed to clean your privy between the hours of six and midnight, and you better not blow any horns or use any other noisy instrument unless you're a guardsman or a postman. What business do postmen have playing noisy instruments? Has your postman ever played a noisy instrument? Unless the doorbell is considered a noisy instrument. Anyway, the livery companies in the City of London, which is the the first among the livery companies, it's the Mercers. Well, of course it is. Originally purveyors of fine fabrics, the company gradually came to represent general merchants. The term mercer derives from the Latin for merchandise. Since they rank first in the order of precedence, the mercers have the right to call themselves the premier livery company. In descending order, by the way, the the rest of them, uh, the other livery companies, the grocers, the drapers, fishmongers, goldsmiths, skinners, merchant tailors, haberdashers, salters, ironmongers, vintners, and cloth workers – A lot of cloth-related stuff going on in there. Surprising amount. London Bridge, before this one. um, Opened in 1831. Stayed there until 1967. Where is it now? Uh, Sold in 68 to a Missourian oil and chainsaw entrepreneur, a chainsaw entrepreneur, Robert P. McCulloch, for just shy of $2.5 million. And it wound up in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. So one point to you if you uh, got... Arizona, two points if you've got Lake Havasu City. No points at all if you've got a grid reference for it. That's just showing off. The place linking all of the details that we mentioned there, Sigmund Freud and Clement Attlee being embalmed there, it having the first escalator, and A.A. A. Milne buying his teddy bear there, Winnie, uh, in 1921. We're talking about Harrods. Of course we are. And finally, a place with uh, many rooms. Buckingham Palace, how many rooms does it have? Well, curious fact, the uh, the palace has 775 rooms, including 19 state rooms, 52 royal and guest bedrooms, 78 bathrooms, 92 offices, 92 offices, 188 staff bedrooms. Here's the curious bit of the curious fact. The monarch lives in a suite of 12 rooms on the palace's north side. So that's only 12 rooms out of 775 used to live in. Um, if there if this spare room tax is the spare room tax happening we can make a lot of money back for the country on the spare room tax i think anyway there we go we're at the end of our quiz and uh, we're at the end of the facts from the national geographic london book of lists by tim jepson and larry porges i want to thank the people who've allowed us to use their Excellent books. There's way more than I could have even given you a flavour of, and the volumes we've mentioned there do get them. Um, show your support for the show. Show your support for these guys who've put together books that I really enjoy reading. They are, once again, the London Book of Lists from National Geographic, Curiosity, and everything you know about London is wrong. That's it for me from this week. I hope you've enjoyed the quiz. I hope you did well. I hope you won if you were competing, and um, if you weren't competing... And I hope that that was a pleasant start to the year. We are out on the road again once more, starting next week. May your new year be all good things, and will see you soon. And that was all for this week. My thanks for this week to Tim Jepson, Larry Porges, Henry Elliott, Matt Lloyd Rose, and Matt Brown. Thanks too to Bernie Barclay. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea, and then Quentin Wolfe i